Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. May God bless this reading of the word. I don't know about you, but I am one of those people who just loves to go on vacation and stay in a hotel. I know some of you who have traveled for business may not appreciate hotels quite as much after you've been in them for a long time, but I just love it. I loved it as a kid because there was always a pool and it's the one time you ever got to sit in bed and eat, which is fun. I love it as an adult for two reasons. One, you get to sleep in late. It usually means you're on vacation and you're going to get to sleep in. And two, there's someone that comes in and cleans up after you every single day. That's pretty relaxing. Sleep and someone else to do the housework for you. Doesn't get much better than that. But in order to make sure those two things both happen, you have to do something. There's this little sign that has a hole in it, and on it it says, Do not disturb. And you have to make sure that at night you hang it on the doorknob outside your door. Otherwise, there's going to be someone knocking on your door bright and early at 8 a.m. to come clean your room. And there is nothing worse than waking up from a dead sleep, stumbling to the door, pajamas, bed head, and having to turn somebody away. The second thing you have to do is that after you really do leave for the day, you have to remember to take that sign down. Otherwise, they won't come clean your room. So all of that to say, I do love staying in a hotel, but you always have to be intentional about when you put up that little sign and when you take it down. 
You have to consciously think about when you want to let people in your space and when you want to keep them out. Our story today takes place in the dark of night. And if I got to title it, it might be the night Jesus forgot to put up his do not disturb sign. I suspect he probably was awake in the night, Nicodemus was. It could have been for one of many reasons, but I imagine that he'd either already seen Jesus do some pretty impressive things or had been teaching, and he had questions running through his mind. Either that, or perhaps he went in the night because he was too embarrassed to be seen by his other Pharisee friends going to Jesus. So instead, Nicodemus finds Jesus in the dark of night. Now, in the Gospel of John, light and dark play a pretty big role. The light usually signifies wisdom or holiness, God, revelation, belief in Jesus. While the things of dark include disbelief, people who turn from God, who just don't get it or don't recognize Jesus for who he really is. And so we're told that Nicodemus goes in the dark of night and that signals to us as readers that he might be a bit of a skeptic at this point. A Pharisee, so clearly a follower of God, who doesn't quite know what to make of Jesus. So after knocking on his door, uninvited, and getting Jesus' attention, Nicodemus starts talking. And it's this weird little interchange between the two men that takes place. Each one talking, but not really in a conversational, back-and-forth kind of way. Nicodemus first starts babbling and calls Jesus teacher, acknowledges his scriptural authority and wisdom. He points out the signs that he's done, that he knows Jesus is no ordinary man. But I suspect he didn't quite get to finish what he was saying, or at least he didn't get to fully explain why did he come in the middle of the night and what is it he wanted from Jesus. Because Jesus starts talking. Now it doesn't say that Jesus interrupted him, But I have to wonder if there wasn't something else that Jesus wanted to say. I kind of imagine Jesus coming, since it, you know, is night, and since he asked some more reluctant questions, I imagine him wanting to say something more like this. We know you're a rabbi. You came from God. We've seen the things you've done. They're pretty cool. No one else can do them. So what's the trick? I mean, how'd you do that wine thing at the wedding? And how do you seem to know people before you even meet them or start talking to them? Because Both of those things happened in the chapter right before. Have you been studying up, Jesus? Do you have an informant? What's the catch? I feel like Nicodemus approaches Jesus like you and I might approach a magician. Super impressed, respectful, but knowing it's called a magic trick for a reason. It's really some sort of illusion, and we don't want to act like we really believe in magic because we'd look like fools. So instead, what we really want is the magician to pull back the curtain and tell us how the trick was done. Like seeing the great Oz standing behind the curtain with a microphone, we want to comprehend the mystery and know it's within our grasp, something we can make sense of and control in some sort of way. We don't really believe in magic. So just go ahead, tell us how it's done. This is how I picture Nicodemus approaching Jesus, how we might approach a magician here today in modern times. 
Now, I might be wrong, but I also think that's why Jesus or Nicodemus went to Jesus at night. So he wouldn't look like too much of a fool. So none of his colleagues would think that he really believed in the show that Jesus had put on because Nicodemus was impressed, but he was also skeptical. He was curious. He wanted to know more, but by no means did he go to Jesus' door that night hoping to be convinced, made into a believer. He'd be the laughing stock of the Pharisees. The thing is, even though Nicodemus approaches Jesus like a magician, Jesus doesn't respond like one. A magician desperately hides his ways because revealing the truth would be the end to his livelihood. It would make all that he does as a magician frivolous. It would take away the excitement. It would take away all the lure of his tricks and his show. No, Jesus doesn't respond like a magician, diverting attention and hiding truth. Instead, Jesus does the exact opposite. He cuts to the chase. In fact, he reveals so much truth that Nicodemus can't seem to wrap his mind around it. And Jesus doesn't reveal truth strategically like a teenager might after they come home at night, you know, revealing all the details that they want you to know and hiding the ones they don't. Like, did you have a drink? Nope. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus cuts right to the chase. Jesus takes a surprising plunge and dives right into the most critical information possible. He begins by telling Nicodemus how to see and to be a part of the kingdom of God. Be born from above, Jesus tells him, which Nicodemus is totally caught off guard. Born again? Alice McKenzie retells this narrative in her own words, and she adds some detail and insight. She says this, Here is Nicodemus late at night, knock, knock, knocking on Jesus' door. Jesus opens his door and it's backlit to the oil lamps in his room, and Nicodemus comes into the light temporarily. As I imagine the scene, she says, Jesus looks at him expectantly. Nicodemus falls into the trap we often do when we meet someone famous. We start babbling about how great that we think they are. And then from there, Jesus begins speaking, telling Nicodemus that no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from anathen, is the word he uses. In Greek, that can either mean born again, born anew, or born from above. Clearly, Nicodemus takes the literal sense of that word, born again, which makes no sense. Born again, he questions. Not exactly like I can go back to my mother's womb. Must be wondering what exactly this rabbi is teaching and where did it come from? Luckily, Jesus responds to Nicodemus. Jesus begins with what sounds like a very patient teacher answer. And spoiler alert, it's not going back to the womb. Jesus responds telling him, that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. But then after this kind of straightforward, patient explanation, the tone in Jesus' voice seems to shift. Jesus starts to sound less like a patient teacher and more like an annoyed parent whose authority and intelligence is being questioned by a child. Now you know as a child that moment when your question was met with hostility 
And don't lie, you know the frustrated feeling you experience as a parent when you have to explain yourself and your perfectly good answer for the second or the third time. I seem to sense that that is what's happening to Jesus here in verse 7. When he continues on saying, Don't be astonished that I said to you, you have to be born from above. I bet that quick shift from patient teacher to irritated parent to lecture mode was enough to make Nicodemus' ears perk up. But then Jesus says something even more surprising, even more disturbing. Jesus not only tells Nicodemus that to be a part of the kingdom of God, which he clearly wants to be, he's a religious leader, to be a part of it, you have to be born from water and spirit. That's surprising, but then he goes on to tell them that the Spirit is like the wind, and where the wind comes from and where it goes, you cannot control. You have no idea when it's coming, and you don't know when it will leave. It's like this rushing wind, and you can hear it. So basically, Jesus tells him, the one thing that you need to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have absolutely no control over. It's totally uncontrollable force. So here we are. In this odd little story, Nicodemus coming in the dark of night, intrigued by Jesus, but likely skeptical, embarrassed to be associated with him, comes wanting easy answers so he can make sense of it and move on with his life. And instead, Jesus Jesus gives him the most complex, profound answers possible. Starts talking to him about things he never asked about, He starts pouring out all the answers about being born from above, about water and spirit, about looking to Christ like the people once looked to the serpent on the stake, and being saved and being healed and made anew, about how God sent Jesus into the world that we might be saved, that he came to save, not to condemn. He starts pouring this all out. So instead of getting an easy answer so Nicodemus can move on with his life, what he gets instead is the most complex answer he can, something he will wrestle with for the rest of his life. Jesus leaves Nicodemus totally confounded. I have no idea what Nicodemus expected to happen when he showed up on Jesus' doorstep in the middle of the night. I don't know why Jesus answered the door or why he forgot to put up his do not disturb sign that night. I'm almost positive that whatever Nicodemus expected, this was not it. So Nicodemus, stunned and confused, replies, How can these things be? Which Jesus gives him another irritated parent answer. You're a teacher of Israel and you don't get it? Now this story doesn't exactly paint the picture of Jesus in the best light, or at least not this tone of voice when he goes off lecturing. I mean, when he sits and talks to the woman at the well, I want to be there. I want to be a part of it. When Jesus teaches by the water, or when he feeds 5,000 people with scarce resources, I want to be a part of that story. But this, this lofty teaching and irritation with Nicodemus for asking questions, These direct and abrasive responses, this teacher who appears to be going off on all these kind of unforeseen tangents, this doesn't really draw me in or make me want to be a part of Jesus' company in this moment. 
There are very few Pharisees I feel sorry for in the New Testament, but this might just be one case. Now, I don't know if Jesus' irritation comes from being woken up in the middle of the night, because I know I'm not my best self and my most chattiest when I wake up and I'm groggy. I'm much more tired and a little bit cranky. Or if maybe it's because Jesus knows people before they speak. That's one of the things that was said. So he knows that Nicodemus is coming to him as a skeptic, someone with impure motives. And Jesus doesn't want anything to do with appeasing that. Or I have to wonder if it's all those things and a little bit more. Yes, Jesus is more blunt and less patient, maybe because he's groggy or maybe because he's an introvert and hasn't had his alone time yet. And yes, Jesus knows Nicodemus came with a hidden agenda and that's annoying. But what if Jesus also recognized that this was a small and strange miracle in and of itself? Nicodemus, a skeptic, a religious leader ashamed to be associated with Jesus, came. willing to talk, and maybe even listen. And what if Jesus, seeing the miracle and recognizing his chance, pounced on the opportunity to teach Nicodemus to share information and transform his life because he knew it was the only one-on-one opportunity he would have. And yes, maybe he pounced a little too enthusiastically, but what if it's because he so desperately wants Nicodemus the truth, and the light? And what if the Spirit blowing where it will without our control isn't a threat, like you may or may not be saved and you can't do anything about it, but what if it's a promise? The wind will always blow again. If it's not blowing today, it might blow tomorrow, and if it's not blowing here, it's blowing somewhere else. The wind will always blow. God is constantly looking for the opportunity to work in our lives. You don't even have to make it happen yourself. Just unlatch the deadbolt on your heart and your mind and the Spirit will blow the door open and go to work in your life. What if just recognize this as an opportunity You know, Nicodemus is an interesting character, and this is a strange little story. For many of us, John 3.16 is one of the first verses we ever learned and memorized. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. I don't think many of us ever heard it with the story of Nicodemus. I don't think many of us ever heard it with a reference to looking towards Jesus and being healed and made new of us heard it quite this way. We're never really told why Nicodemus went to Jesus in the first place that night. And then, of course, Jesus starts talking about whatever Jesus will, which turns out to be some of the most important information we have. Born from above and the Holy Spirit and salvation. And in this scene, eventually Nicodemus just kind of stops talking and fades from the scene not told what happens, whether he went home, whether he was changed. It kind of, the next thing you know it, 
Jesus stops talking and it's morning and they go on to the next thing. You have no idea what really happened that night. Which leads me to believe it wasn't really the tale of a big conversion story for Nicodemus. But I have to wonder if perhaps that was the night that the wind began to blow in Nicodemus' life. The thing is, even though Nicodemus sort of fades from the scene, and we're not really told what he does directly after or how much of an impact this encounter had on him, he doesn't completely disappear. He shows up two more times in the gospel, once about halfway through in kind of a half-hearted defense of Jesus to the Pharisees, and once towards the end of the story in chapter 19. He's the one that accompanies Joseph of Arimathea in preparing Jesus for burial. Nicodemus is the one that brings an excessive amount of spices, 75 pounds, in order to prepare his body for burial, according to Jewish custom. We don't really know how Nicodemus went from this skeptic to one who cared deeply for Jesus. But somehow or another, the Holy Spirit began working in the depths of his life, slowly, Gradually, over time, Nicodemus was reborn. I suspect it was not a quick and easy birth either, a quick push into the light, ending the pain and confusion, but instead a long and laborious rebirth. I suspect it began that very night he came to Jesus in the dark, a skeptic, afraid to approach him in the light of day, And though he listened to Jesus hesitantly, he listened with enough of his guard down that Jesus got in. As we hear the story of these two men, Nicodemus, who bombarded into Jesus' space in the dark of night, I have to wonder if maybe it wasn't Jesus who forgot his do not disturb sign, but Nicodemus. I have to wonder if Jesus hadn't been waiting for this very moment, ready to jump on it. And Nicodemus is actually the one that is caught off guard, the one who is disturbed and shaken up. What if this story isn't about how Nicodemus disturbed Jesus in the middle of the night, but instead about how, for just a second, just a small moment in time, Nicodemus took down his do not disturb sign long enough for Jesus to come in and disrupt his nice and tidy Pharisee ways. Just long enough for Jesus to plant seeds of truth that would one day sprout into prophecy and salvation. What if? The winds will blow and the Spirit will move where it wants. You might find that your life is disturbed one of these days. And I hope that it is. Because all that you have to do is to remember to take off that do not disturb sign and to let your guard down. Because God's grace is for you. It is nothing you can achieve or put on your resume or make happen yourself. It is uncontainable and uncontrollable. And it is constantly seeking the right moment to come in and work at the depths of your life will let God in. So may you take down your signs and may you be disturbed 
by the Holy Spirit this day. Will you join me in prayer? Oh, holy God, we come to you full of anticipation and expectation about what you might do, and yet we can also find ourselves reluctant and doubtful. We ask that you move into our lives amidst it all, that you begin to work in our hearts to transform us, that we might trust in you more deeply, that we might start to bring about your kingdom here on earth, here and now. We ask all of this in your Son Jesus' holy name.